You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to Faith and Other Oddities. Um, we're still in the book of Samuel. We are... After a long rabbit trail last week. <laughs> I know. We're taking about as long as the Israelites did to get through this. So <laughs> Stick with us for another 40 days. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, but we just got... Well, no, we got introduced to Goliath the week before. Then David came on scene and started doing David stuff and... <laughs> And then Saul started doing Saul's stuff, and that's about where we left it, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. David had, had um, basically decided he couldn't wear Saul's armor. That uh, Not only can he not wear Saul's armor, he cannot even look like Saul. He's got to be somebody completely different and who he is. And so we talked a lot about that and how that could play out in uh, today's church settings. And uh, so if you want a lot of opinion... Go back and listen to last week. A whole bunch week. of opinion last week. <laughs> a lot more than typical. So Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll stay on track this week, but I'm not promising not anything. Any guarantees. <laughs> we just had lunch, so, you know, we're, we're a little sleepy. We're a little more subdued. Yeah, yeah that was the problem. We, we hadn't had our Snickers, so, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so, uh, David has, has turned down the armor, and so this is, again, Samuel 17. We're in verse 40 at this point. This is a long chapter. Uh, and, and that verse says, he took a staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the brook, put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand as he approached the Philistine. So um, we, we, we get David's, you know, what he's going to wear into battle. This is, right. this is who it is. And we're reminded David above all else is a shepherd. And, you know, dad probably called him in, said, hey, go take these to your brothers. David went, okay, sure. You, he's a teenage guy. He didn't, you know, change his clothes. He didn't, you know, do any kind of special preparation. He had his shoes. He had his cloak. He had, you know, his normal stuff. Yeah. And that's probably how he showed up in Saul's courts. And plus, you know, people back then didn't have a lot of outfits. So if your profession kind of had a primary way of dressing that made up probably the bulk if not all of your wardrobe right now uh the shepherd's patch do we have any examples of that do you think like is it like a kind of a satchel type thing um not really i mean they were usually leather they they didn't they didn't stand up well to to um you know the the elements of time sure we might be able to find some I, i think i've seen I honestly didn't take time to look it up, but I think I remember way back there in the recesses of my mind where I've seen like fragments where they've had like little bits of leather, but you know, it's not going to be huge. It's going to be something that he can shove some lunch in. It's going to be something that he can, you know, uh, keep a couple of stones in. It's it's not going to be something that is going to weigh him down as he's climbing over rocks and yeah. boulders to get to the sheep. It's it's going to be something very kind of sleek and simple and something durable. And it really would be like his wallet. It would just be a part of, you know, you leave the house, you grab this thing because mm-hmm. this is this is it. And so when he's got his staff, 
And he's got a sling, which is probably one of the things kept in his shepherd's pouch, or he might have worn it hanging off his belt. Um, he's got a staff, his shepherd's pouch. He's good to go. Yeah. He, he can survive off the land. This is the kind of person he would have been that, you know, staying with his sheep wasn't something he got up to do in the mornings and spend a pleasant afternoon, you know, lying around under a tree. Right. This would have been all day, all night. He might have taken some food with him. He might have been able to uh, probably wouldn't have carried water with him because he would have been in a place that had water because of the sheep. Sure. So for for David, just these items alone means that he's pretty self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think sometimes that if we don't go back and, and think about really what the job entailed, and if we don't consciously make the effort to try to remove ourselves from what we might think a job means, mm-hmm. and if you haven't lived on a farm and you haven't taken care of livestock, you don't understand they are a 24-hour yep. responsibility. Yep. They don't stop for your schedule. No, they don't care. Uh, our sister actually, uh, the past few months, has had baby goats. And when they were first born, they were in her house. And, you know, she was getting up every few hours to make sure they got the bottle on time mm-hmm. and make sure that they got to get out to play. And she she's literally rearranged her life to take care of two goats mm-hmm. and this is not her livelihood or her means of sustenance it's it's not something that she has to guard to to ensure that her family is taken care of but even just the casual involvement in that ha- has changed her world and so with david definitely it's going to be something that his whole life does revolve around these sheep right so five smooth stones um smooth because they're going to be more accurate Mm-hmm. You, you want that. They would have been pretty rounded. Um, they're about the size of a tennis ball. And so, you know, they're, they aren't huge, but they're, I mean, they're sizable. Yeah. They're going to make an impact. You don't want to get hit by one. Yeah. Well, and they're barium sulfate, which, okay, barium in the Greek literally means heavy. Okay. Because they're about twice as dense as most stones. And so they, they have a good density, but they aren't real hard. Um, when somebody got struck with one of these, these rocks from the Valley of Elah, um, it had the stopping power of a 45 caliber bullet. Now I've shot a 45 caliber handgun. Mm-hmm. I don't like to shoot it. Right. You know, it's not a fun gun. Uh, they're, but they're, they're heavy, they're dense. But they're not particularly hard, and this is the reason why they can be rounded by the brook and give that nice uniform shape. Right. But it also means that when you throw them at something, they explode. Right. So With enough force. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite gemstones is um, our emeralds. Yeah. And emeralds are barium sulfate. sulfate. So they they have, uh, you know, they're crystal is basically what it is. So sure. when, when you think about that impacting and the, the shards of, of this exploded tennis ball size stone sinking into a bean, th- this becomes a very graphic event. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we realize that it really was, I mean, this is a brutal thing that David did to Goliath. Yeah. This was not little pebbles. This is, 
this is a weapon that warriors use. Remember, Benjamin had 600 men who were famed for their ability with the sling. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was cutting edge, cutting edge technology mm-hmm. at some point. It wasn't just, oh, well, it, you know, we think of it as slingshots as kids play things. And of course, what we have are like the, yeah. the, the rubber band on the, the fork of a tree, you know. Yeah. Well, and it's a totally, yeah, that's a totally different thing. And we'll try to get some uh, links up. But if you just go on YouTube and look for Shepherd Sling, Mm-hmm. And look for demonstrations. They, they've got a ton of them out there, and the things that people are able to do with these things, um, it, it's pretty amazing, actually, because uh, they can get highly accurate with them, uh, and it is it's crazy. Yeah. And no, I've I've seen some videos of people splitting boards and exploding watermelons, yeah, watermelons and things like that. And these guys were just using like uh like ball bearings, like uh-huh. quarter size ball bearings. Oh, yeah. And, and people are playing with this. This has become actually part of the survivalist uh, movement that they will, people will become accustomed to using it. And it, they were showing on some of the videos I watched, people have just been playing with it for a few months and how good they got fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. And so that was actually kind of interesting to me, given the fact that, again, we have a nation who has dedicated sling throwers in their armies. Mm-hmm. And nobody's thought, hey, maybe I can use it against this giant. And so when you realize that, this is not innovative on on David's part at all. Right. I mean, it kind of gives it a little bit of perspective. But when David chooses the stones, it's so at odds with what Saul tried to offer him and what, what, what Goliath has, because it's not a weapon created by the hands of man. It's what God literally provided. And the thing is, with undressed stones, they're not susceptible to becoming ritually impure or unclean. So there's a certain level of that these are holy or these still have a sacred quality because the only thing that has fashioned them is God himself. Hmm. And so the, the, the number of stones, we, we have to talk about this because there's been a lot made of the number of stones. Why five stones? And the the first one I grew up hearing was Goliath had four brothers. And That's what I heard, yeah. Yeah, the, and they were standing in the background, and he had the other ones prepared just in case. There's no mention of Goliath's brother in this, pa- in this passage. Right. So that's... Iffy. Iffy, yeah. They're kind of, eh, whatever. Uh, the rabbis, of course... He took one for each of the five books of the Torah. Oh, yeah. Because that was what he's thinking. Yeah. I mean, why Uh, wouldn't you? Every time I pick up a rock, you know, no. (laughs) Maybe maybe I should start applying that to how I buy musical gear. Uh, You could probably get by. See, you can make the Bible do anything you want (laughs) if you try hard enough, people. I'd have some more guitars. (laughs) Um. Yeah, um, I don't think your wife's going to let that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I think she'd see right through that. Yeah, one. she'd be like, yeah, not buying that one. So, But I do like this one. I had not heard of this one. I'm not ascribing to it, but some of these st- things I share, they're, they're just, they amuse me, okay? Yeah. And um, so David was honoring five people who had been dishonored by the Philistines. One, of course, is God. Mm-hmm. Uh, the so. other, actually, Aaron whose descendants, Hophni and Finkos, were killed by oh, Goliath, yeah. okay. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
So again, I I don't think David's thinking this hard. I don't know how you get there. <laughs> you have to be a rabbi. Uh, you know. Okay. I mean, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. Well, everything goes back to the Torah with the rabbis, and and, and really. I'm kind of laughing, but there is this element within Bible study that you you do. You've got to go back to the Torah. And one of the ways that we see that is in these retellings that we find throughout the rest of the scripture. Mm-hmm. And if you understand the foundational story, then you begin to understand what David's doing. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's... Uh, or anybody. Yeah. Well, and Tim Mackey, I love listening to him. And it's really interesting listening to a lot of the, the ways that he teaches because just about every other lesson or, or mm-hmm. two out of three lessons almost he's he goes to some reference to genesis one two and three he's like mm-hmm. it's it's all right there the first mm-hmm. he's like you can find the entire theme of yes. where the bible's going in those first three chapters which absolutely at some point we may need to do that but it's it's really can we please? <laughs> yeah, well, we'll we'll get there. I mean, yeah, that no. Lord willing. Those are, that's that's my candy. Uh, yeah, Genesis is just it's a fa- phenomenal book, and I I love it. But I, you know, in, in my way of thinking, probably, and again, I can be wrong. So I'm going to you know, five one pound stones pretty much fills up probably what his shepherd pouch would carry. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and he's not wanting to weigh himself down. You mean not everything has to have a miraculous meaning? Uh, no, actually, sometimes. So, sometimes it's just practical. Sometimes it is. And because I mean, these stones, like I said, they're about one pound each. And if you've got a leather pouch and you, you're going to be, you know, David assumes that he's probably going to be able to walk out there and take care of this pretty quickly. But he he's not going to want to weigh himself down with anything unnecessary. Mm-hmm. They're going to meet in the valley. There's more stones laying around, so he knows he can replenish them quickly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he's prudent. Yeah. yeah. He's a pretty smart guy. So verses 41 through 42, Goliath moves to the battlefield. Uh, he's got a shield bearer in front of him, and he's offended when he sees David come out. Uh, David's just too young. He's too pretty. Uh, Goliath can't see him as a real threat. And the contrast is set up so well because you've got David going out seemingly alone. And here's Goliath with his armor bearer in front of him. And remember, this is the full body shield that the Mm -hmm. armor bearer. So the armor bearer is not a puny little guy. And there's going to be a fight even to get to Goliath if David were to confront him, you know, hand, hand to hand combat that he would actually have to get through the armor bearer first so you know goliath has kind of set this up as oh yeah we're going to have this fight but then he brings another guy to the battle and you know he's not fighting fair he never is and so goliath in verse 43 he he gets he gets frustrated he he says am i a dog that you should come to me with sticks so he probably saw david's staff and he probably saw david's sling which would have been hanging uh, and he probably didn't realize exactly what it what it was that David was coming at him with. And, you know, the, the stones are still in the pouch. He mm-hmm. doesn't see the real weapon yet. Mm-hmm. And it says that the Philistine cursed David by his gods. 
and it come and he Goliath challenges says, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. So there's this, um, we, we've got this direct quote from Goliath about what he wants to do, mm-hmm. but the, he cursed David by his gods. We don't have what the curses are and we don't have the gods named. Right. This is a slight. We don't, the, the author doesn't care who the gods are. Yeah, <laughs> we're not even going to name them. They were that insignificant compared to Yahweh. And the curses, who cares? Because they're not going to be fulfilled. Now, who is Goliath referring to? Probably Dagon, Asarte. You know, the, the, that's the cultural gods that they would have been, mm-hmm. that he would have been worshiping. It, it, it doesn't matter. And the thing is, this is sealing Goliath's fate. If what had come before was not enough to totally condemn this guy, this is sealing Goliath's faith because God had specifically said the Torah and to Abraham, I will curse those who curse you and bless those who bless you. So Goliath has called down the full weight of God's promises upon himself. And so before this, you know, he had defied the, the armies and brought reproach, but there was mm-hmm. still that element of truth in what he was saying. Right. So now there's, there's no backing up. And, and in these curses, the 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 prescribed punishment is in Leviticus twenty four sixteen. Whoever blasphemes God, whether they are an Israelite or a sojourner in the land, they deserve to be stoned. And so, <laughs> and David's just really efficient at it. Yeah, <laughs> in ways that you normally don't see. <laughs> And that, yeah, that's, I don't know why I'm laughing. It's not really funny, but no. Well, it it kind of is because we don't think of it as being a a ritual, uh, you know, observation of the Torah. We we see it as a battle, but the thing is, the defense of God's word and the defense of God's nation is keeping the Torah. Yeah. See, I, I hadn't even made that connection that that it was a stoning, as it technically was. Yeah. I, I didn't until I went back through this. And this, again, read what's on the page. Think about it. Don't just blow by it. Um, but yeah, when Goliath, now when he says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave the, your body for the birds and the beast, this is to be humiliation. Yeah, that's a common one that I've seen in a lot of different writings, that, well, not we've just talked biblical about writings, it. that leaving people out in the field for the birds to eat, that's, I mean, that's basically cursing them in a lot of cultures, cursing their spirits to wander. Yeah. It's it's pretty shaking. Well, and consider that, you know, Goliath, you know, he's from a culture of ancestor worship. And when the spirits uh, of his family, they literally did live on. Why? Because his, his family, their spirits were the demons. Because the spirits of the departed Nephilim, they, this is the people that are the, the beings that, that inhabited his pantheon of gods as a Philistine and as one of the Rephaim. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you've got spirits of your dead ancestors, how do you honor them? Well, you honor them by making sure that the corpse and the tomb receive offerings. Mm-hmm. They keep, you, know, you, you give gifts of food and you give drinks and you give uh, things that they like. Uh, all of the, these things that come along with, with ancestor worship, you can, but you cannot sustain one of these spirits if there's no place of burial to return to to do these ritual um, 
these ritual obligations. Mm -hmm. And so the, the fact that anybody would do this would be like, we want you to be as, we want your existence to be wiped out. Mm -hmm. Who you are as a person doesn't even deserve to exist. And now burying the dead is not just a big deal within the Philistine culture. It's a big deal within biblical culture. We have several accounts of burials Mm -hmm. in the Torah. It's interesting that many of the accounts of burials in the Torah are women and to make sure that women are buried. Right. Now, uh, 1 Kings, David and his troops are going to make a special trip into Edom to bury the fallen warriors from, from that battle. And in Ezekiel 39, Israel goes and buries the bodies from the battle with Gog. And, mm. you know, the, the human body was created in the image of God, and it housed the spirit of God because God breathed into Adam. So therefore, the human body is sacred. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so you don't dishonor the image of God by failing to honor the body. Now, do you have to keep the, the, the body fed and, you know, with all of these offerings like in other religions? No, but you would still honor them by making sure that they weren't left exposed and humiliated. And Anytime one of the enemies of Israel, their bodies were left on, you know, out for the elements to take care of, they were a particularly vile and evil enemy. Mm -hmm. And I should have actually looked it up. It just didn't occur to me until right this moment. I should have looked up to see which enemies the bodies were left exposed and if they had ties back to the Rephaim. I would only, I would almost bet you that's true. I mean, that's, that's my gut. Let's not go gambling with the Bible, eh? Uh, well, okay. That feels wrong. All right, <laughs> fine. But I'm going to have to look at that now that I'm, I'm like committed to this idea because I'm pretty certain I'm right. Uh, and that's the other thing with familiarity. You kind of start getting those hunches, and it's less about uh, learning something new as confirming some of the things that are in your back of your head. And then when it clicks, it's like, oh, yeah. I'm I'm pretty certain. But yeah, don't quote me yet. Quote me whenever we come back to back around to this. So okay. verses 45 through 47. I'm going to read this is David's speech to Goliath. Um, and I I just want to read what he says because he, he says some interesting things. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the, the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the de- your dead bodies. Oh, sorry, I will give the dead bodies of the host of Philistines to this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel, and the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. Glass. <laughs> I'm going to give you to the birds and the beast. I'm going to give you to the birds and the beast. <laughs> well, and he ups the ante. Yeah. David flat out lets you know, I have no intention of keeping um, with this idea of this champion's battle. When I get done, you're all going to die. Right. You know, it's not enough that I'm going to kill you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take out everyone who's with you. Yeah. I mean, that, that's confidence. And, and he lists... Goliath's weapons, and he 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 says, "Hey, yeah, I get that you think this is what you've got, and you, look at you, big bad Goliath." You know, it, it's David's taunt in return, and 
you know, he's not unaware or, un- or naive about what he's against. Yeah. He's like, yeah, you're this big, tough guy. You need all this <laughs> stuff to come after one little kid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. He David's kind of full of himself a little bit. But, you know, when you're going to be in these kind of situations, you need a little extra dose yeah. of confidence. You need some confidence for the situation. <laughs> yes. This is not a good time to be doubting yourself or God. But what's really interesting is he he's not concerned with what Goliath has brought to the battle. He's concerned with who's in the battle. And he says, I come in the name of the Lord of the host. Now, so great about this. We've talked about this. This is the name for God. Whenever we're referring to God leading the, the, the armies of God, the mm-hmm. heavenly armies and the, the physical armies. But the first time we heard this title in all of the Bible was first Samuel one thirteen. And it comes from Hannah's song mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and from her prayer, sorry, in one eleven, And she's the first person to say this. Now, Hannah, the barren woman who was a nobody in the house of Shiloh at the tabernacle there at Shiloh, her prayer, not even her prophecy, her prayer becomes the define, one of the defining things in David's reign. That's huge. Yeah. We, the fact that that this woman was able to to say a prayer that truly changed a nation and has actually changed the vocabulary of a nation, I you want to talk about an impact? I mean, when you when your words start changing how the country talks, mm-hmm. that that's big because when you start changing how the country talks, then you start changing how the country thinks and you change how they act, mm-hmm. and so. When David picks up this title and he grabs hold of it and says, this is the God I serve, he is the Lord of hosts, yeah. then he's able to move in boldness because who cares about one tiny little giant when you have the Lord of hosts and all of his armies backing you? So he, he specifically identifies that the Lord of hosts is the, the God of the armies of Israel. And he's reminding this army you're not servants of Saul. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what the enemy has said. Even if that looks like it's true on the outside, and maybe situationally it is true, it's not an ultimate truth, and it's not the final truth. Right. The truth is all of these men, all of the things that they do belong to God alone. And you know, that's pretty uh, amazing. So David, you know, like I said, he, he declares that God is going to deliver uh, Goliath into his hands. Yes, David is the human actor, but David never loses sight of the fact that this is God's battle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's the reason why David can win this. And so he's going to strike him down. He's going to cut off his head. Um, and like I said, I love that shift in language. I, I'm, I'm taking everyone. Mm-hmm. They're all, you're all done. And, but contrast that. You know, David has been, okay, David's been challenged by a single Philistine with Goli- by Goliath. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who volunteers and says, we're going to up the ante mm-hmm. by taking everyone out. Now, remember the story that just came before, not too long ago. Saul went out and he fought the, um, the Ammonites. Was it the Am- Ammonites? But he left uh, King Agag alive. alive. He, he allowed the strongest, the most influential mm-hmm. to, to, to remain. And David already knows this can't happen. Right. That's the wrong move. 
And so then we get into the theological purpose of this whole speech. And it's so that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. And I know you... Oh, I, I love this part. <laughs> Go I mean, ahead. This is, and we, we talked about this a little bit on one of the Patreon specials, but we're going we're gonna to share part of it here, is that, you know, in, in the ancient worldview, you know, the, the God was the protector of your land. Mm -hmm. And if you have these people who came up from, it came up, this group of slaves came up out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And they drove out the people who were there before. Well, their God must not have been any good. The Canaanites God. The Canaanite God. And then here you have the Philistines who have been oppressing Israel for years. So there must not be a God in this land to protect these people. Right. And so that's, that's their worldview is like, hey, you know what? We, we can come in and take over because the God, who, the God who's here doesn't care who's here. Or there is no or, God. Or there isn't a God to protect people. And... So, yeah, when David says that, he's like, no, there is a God, and he came with us because our God's not tied to the land right. like the other gods are supposed to be. And so, yeah, I love that. It's just, it's when you really break it down and hear what he's saying. Our God comes with us. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's the thing I think we overlook, too, is that, you know, was there a God in Israel? Well, the question isn't, is there a God in Israel? It's, is there an Israelite in Israel serving God? Right. And, you, know, the, you know, the Psalms talk about, you know, God inhabits the praise of his people. Look at what David does with the Psalms. He, he, he does praise God. He praises God continuously in big, over-the-top, extravagant ways. Mm -hmm. And so God inhabits that place that David has created for God to be enthroned. And so whenever we, we talk about, you know, is God present? And if you ever want to go, okay, well, I want to know that God's here. Well, do what he tells you to do in the Bible. Yeah. And matter of fact, um, I've been talking a lot with Doug Overmeyer uh, recently because of uh, this, his ministry for CRC, and it deals a lot with spiritual warfare, not in the way that a lot of churches take it and kind of out there la la land. I mean, mm -hmm. it's really great uh, biblically ba uh, grounded research. And, um, you know, one of the things when people start confronting even supernatural things today, which this is a supernatural event in David's life, they want to talk about whatever the spiritual manifestation is. Mm -hmm. They want to talk mm -hmm. about what the, 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 oh, I saw a demon who did this, or that's flicking the lights on in the off in the house. It's, you know, whatever the, the thing is and whatever that evil's up to. And the problem with that is that's where your focus is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so everybody wants to spend all this time fighting off demons as if they're Sam and Dean from Supernatural. And, okay, guys, that shows us theological train wreck. Let's get that <laughs> straight. Um, kind of entertaining at times, but we'll talk about why I watched that at some other point or have watched it. Um, but the, the point is, when you shift into that place of praise and you shift into that place of worship where your attention is on God mm -hmm. and, and you, you really, okay, yeah, so there's an enemy trying to do something, but I'm not having to confront it head on in my own power. I, I, I can just be with God. God will take care of everything else. Mm -hmm. And so... Well, it's like the, uh, was it, the don't think of pink elephants thing. Don't focus on on what's coming against you. Don't focus on that stuff. Replace mm -hmm. it. 
replace it with something worth thinking about. Yes, because one way to think about it is by by focusing on it, you're giving it energy. It's like the one time that I I ate a single potato chip out of a bag. I, I I did. I ate one potato chip and then went about my way. I was so focused on something else that I didn't just sit down and eat all of them. I was so like, I don't believe hour, you. Hours later, I <laughs> no, I I ate a single potato chip, then went on my project, and then hours later, I was like. That was weird. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's a good illustration. But I was wondering where in the world were you going to... That's it. It's not exciting. <laughs> it's just one of those things that Actually, I don't know of any other time I've eaten a single potato chip out of a bag. I almost don't, didn't believe you because, of, yeah. No, I, I, it was, I was in the middle of something else and just kind of hyper-focused. Well, and that's... I mean, seriously, when you said it's not exciting... Most spiritual warfare isn't exciting. Right. Uh, you know, it really is a matter of, are you doing what God told you to do? Are you focusing mm -hmm. on him? You can cut down on 90% of any kind of spiritual issues you might have in your life if you do those two things. Yeah. It really is that simple. So um, we just like to complicate it. I think sometimes we wish there was a ritual. Right, you know, I want to make the little line of salt around my myself, and nothing evil can touch me. Yeah, it's not cut how a it potato works. in half, put it on two forks, wave them around <laughs> on either side of the television. It, you can't tell that story. Anyway, that's, <laughs> so, a, that's a whole other one. But uh, for an extra five dollars on Patreon, Nathan will tell you the story. <laughs> tell you that story. <laughs> no, we're kidding, uh, but yeah, no, but Saul—that's the thing. Saul is so focused on the enemy, and we saw that, and I think his allowing King Agag to, to live shows you how much he was focused on the enemy, and, you know, I'm even going to bring him into my house. Mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, and David's not having any of that, and so David stands really at odds with the status quo in so many ways, and this buildup to this battle has shown us that, and even the fact that he's going to repeat Hannah's words, and he's going to say, I align with that, this outsider, this one who didn't fit, and this one who defied all the odds. It, that's huge. So all this assembly may know, all, everyone here, the, the Israelites need to remember there's a God in Israel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The Philistines need to get it straight or else they're going to get killed. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing with all of these battles that people forget. If the people left, the Israelites didn't pursue them. It stopped when they left the land. Mm -hmm. And so if they you know, want to save themselves, get out of Israel. Yeah. It's that simple. Very simple. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the problem. Uh, we went, like I said, over compliment, over complicated. But David doesn't have a sword. He doesn't have a, a spear. He has what literally belongs to God alone. These rocks only belong to God. Mm -hmm. And they were created by God. And the fact that David uses something that is God's alone to defeat an enemy who thinks they can manufacture ways to, to destroy God's people is a huge statement in and of itself. And David's really confident of this victory because he's not seeking his own victory. He's seeking a victory on behalf of God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we shouldn't forget, and we've already talked about this, but it's in my notes, so I'm going to go through it this way just to make sure gotcha. we, we don't miss it. Uh, Goliath is a Rephaim. Mm -hmm. Okay. I can't 
drive that home enough because everybody wants to take this out and make it some kind of, he was just a big guy. He was not just a big guy. Right. He is a supernatural enemy. He's the same guy that, the, that would have been related to the giants and the conquest of Canaan whenever the, the spies came back and said, we look like grasshoppers in front of them. Right. And, you know, he was somebody who was scary. He, he's partially supernatural in origin, spiritual in origin. He belongs to a race that produced what the Bible calls the mighty men of old, the men of renown. These would have been men like the, the Greek heroes and the demigods, mm-hmm. the same lines. And, and now, literally, we're with Goliath. We are in that same time period as the Battle of Troy, as Menelaus, as Achilles. And that's who David is facing here. It, it, it's not just a really good warrior. And David recognizes that as a man, he's wholly inadequate to face this battle. And I feel like I'm saying this a lot over the last few episodes, but I... I so often we have told this where it is about a man who's just overly confident and mm-hmm. sure that he can hit it. No. <laughs> so that's not, not what's going on. And so he, he goes into battle with God. And, and unlike the nation of Israel, who's been sitting back for 40 days watching everything, just like those 10 spies, who's like, we can't do it. Yeah. So they wind up for 40 years in the, in the desert. David is, is Caleb. David is um, other guy, Caleb and... Benjamin. No, not Joshua. Joshua. That one. Yeah, David. <laughs> he's like, let's do too this. Many names. Yeah, let's do this. We, we can go out and we can win. We can fe- defeat them. And, and David runs into the battlefield. And David shows what the nation of Israel should have done, mm-hmm. who they should have been mm-hmm. in that moment as well as this moment. And because of this, David is going to, he's, he's going to experience the deliverance that he, that he had said is going to happen. And at the same time, it, what's really interesting to me is, you know, David's ability was sharpened and honed in the wilderness. David's already had his wilderness time. This is the reason why he can step forward and say it's time to conquer. Mm-hmm. And I think we forget that David spent that time in the wilderness where he did, ha- you know, that's where he started composing these psalms. That's where he began learning how to play the lyre and, and began to, to engage in that expression. And now it's time to move into battle. And so, of course, this foreshadows that time that Jesus is going to spend 40 days in the, in the, the wilderness. He's going to face his temptation and he's going to be sharpened and honed and how to deal with the enemy that confronts him there so that when he steps out into battle and the rest of Israel and he confronts the, ne- the demons who are the remnant of the Nephilim still living in the same land or the Rephaim in the same land. Mm-hmm. This, so it's the same enemy. Yep. It, it, Jesus is, and David are facing the same ones. David face, faces it in the physical realm and Jesus faces it in the spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the, the overlap is tremendous. And when you bring these points together, you begin to see how God had a plan that he was going to, to bring about. And he was, throughout history, he's been inviting people, do you want to play a part? Do you want to play a part? Mm-hmm. You know, do you want to be a part of this? And, and it's everyone that, that has ever lived, th- this invitation has gone out to them. And when we talk about salvation, 
in the Christian church today, so often it's so shallow. Do you want to be saved from hell? Would you like to avoid hell? You want to go to heaven? How different is that from do you want to be a part of what God's doing? Right, right. You know, it's, yeah, deliverance into the kingdom as opposed to just deliverance from hell. You know, it's when you have a destination (laughs) and a goal and... And again, it's not, and it's, we're not talking about salvific things because that's, you know, that's Christ's work. But mm-hmm. then God gives us work that, to do. And, and work that you want to do and work that, that excites you and makes you feel alive that you want to run to, just like David wants to run to the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, it doesn't mean it's always easy and it doesn't mean that there aren't times that it's like, man, okay got to drag myself through this mm-hmm. but i mean even david had those days but overall the the the, the majority of the time he knew what he wanted to mm-hmm. do and who he was supposed to be and of course we're going to talk about those times that he fails uh because that that's a huge issue for people sure so um verses 48 through 49 uh, the the battle's over almost before it begins it's two verses long I counted the words, 36 words in Hebrew, all of the buildup. I mean, that's all it comes down to, 36 uh, words in Hebrew. It says, when the Philistine arose and drew near to meet David, and the the language in the Hebrew is deliberately kind of, it it gives you that that bulky, slow motion, I'm coming to get you kind of vibe. And then David, David ran quickly to the battle. Uh, battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. And the a stone sunk into the forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. And so you get this it, it, in the Hebrew, it's more boom, 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 and, 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 and. So you, you get this, this very quick progression. David, you know, he's lithe, he's quick on his feet, he's moving. And it's a total contrast hmm. to who, uh, Goliath is. And so in all this buildup, it's like, oh, this is what it is. And honestly, that's the way spiritual warfare is. It's like, uh, you know, I'll get, you, okay, I'll get a call or something from somebody who's dealing with something crazy weird. And they're like, oh, it's been months and this has been happening. And I, I just, I don't know how to deal with it. And I did. And it's like, well, have you, have you just, told things to get out of your house and have you worshiped in your house are you you know and i'm like you know it takes like two minutes and they're mm-hmm. and they're like oh yeah i did that and you know it's been great and it's like it it really is it, it, it's that simple and so it's obedience and doing what you're told to do it, it's about faith it, it's it's not about ritual so right. anyway so We've got this rapid list of things that that David does, and then we we get these wonderful details. The stone sinks into Goliath's forehead, and he falls on his face to the ground. So again, when you when you've got details, stop and pay attention to them because the Bible doesn't just include weird weird details for no reason. Sure. So number one, the face is the only part of his body that's exposed, mm-hmm. which is a little lesson in itself when evil is unmasked it usually is vulnerable and that's when it's most easily uh, destroyed fair enough now remember that stone had the stopping power of a 45 caliber bullet 
And so the fact that it had that kind of stopping power, it's the size of a tennis ball hitting this guy straight square in the face. Mm -hmm. Physics would dictate that he go backwards and not forward. So even the fact that he falls forward it is a little bit of a um, indication that God's got something to do with this. I was like literally looking up videos, watching people recreate um, you know, weapons testing with 45 mm -hmm. bullets and, and sh uh, shooting people, you know, not people, but... Ballistic it, gel. Yes, and even uh, ballistic gel shaped like a human being and things like that mm -hmm. to see what would happen. Now, typically with a bullet, it goes through, so then you've got some other issues, but this was all right square in his face. and. When you get hit by a projectile weapon like that, the energy of the throw that gets transferred into whatever it hits. Mm -hmm. So the, the shock waves of all of these little fragments were, that it would have exploded into go through Goliath's skull and, and just basically turn his, his brain to jello, into mush. His brain is literally pummeled. And so this guy's dead quick. Mm -hmm. and. So the the thing is about all this, the reason why it's important that we understand that falling to his face and it is important that we got to go back to 1 Samuel 5, 3. Mm. It says, and when the people of Ashdod arose the next day, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Lord, the Ark of the Lord. The same words in the Hebrew are found in both accounts. Uh, you got the Philistines. God is, is face down before the Ark of the Lord. Now the Philistine is down before David. And what is David bringing into the battle? The same thing that the Ark of the Lord had, which was the, the Spirit of God was mm -hmm. supposed to travel with it. And David is saying, God's coming with me. I don't need an Ark. I don't need this, this thing. Hmm. Because God's alive, and this is a total opposite attitude than Hophni and Finkas had in the beginning of Samuel, which led to the Ark of the Lord being captured to begin with. But also go back to Genesis 3. What's the promise to the serpent? He will eat the dust of the earth. Okay. So we have this connection, and the idea is that you're supposed to understand this is divine retribu retribution. It's executed through the faithfulness of David, but the fact that God is the one who actually makes it happen, mm -hmm. and he's doing it because he's recreating ways that he has judged people and executed people and gods before. And when we talk about um, how God, you know, he, he replaced the, these themes so that we can identify, oh, this is where God's at, this is what he's doing, and this is consistent with his nature. Mm -hmm. just so that we can understand and catch the significance of the fact that God is present. Now, um, verse 50, David is, um, he prevails over the Philistines, we're told, with a sling and a stone, no sword in the hand of David. And the, the writer really wants you to know that David is not relying on man-made tools. As a matter of fact, in verse 51, David unsheaths um, Goliath's sword to take his head off mm -hmm. because he doesn't have anything of his own. And so again, that ritual stoning has been carried out. So 
when David goes forward to cut off the head, we go back to 1 Samuel 5, 4. Once again, the, the Philistines go into the temple of Dagon. Dagon's fallen over again. And this time his head has been cut off. Right. And so we're supposed to remember that. Now go back to Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Mm-hmm. Remember, if, if the woman has children, mm-hmm. then the serpent, the Nakash here, that's evil entity, he also has children. Well, mm-hmm. Goliath is one of the Rephaim, so he's one of these children, mm-hmm. of uh, an offspring of intelligent evil, whether it's directly this being or not. It, the intelligent evil being manifest physically, and God's final promise, he, will, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Goliath, again, we're back to that head language and the fact that evil's head, it, it, it has to be cut off, it has to be crushed, it has to be, it, you have to take off the head and take it out of the game plan, and that's what God promises to, to his believers. Hmm. I mean, it's... There's a lot. I'm trying to figure out uh, where the heel part of that does, comes in. Like, I follow you on the head yeah. language, but yeah. I'm just trying to figure out if, if that fits in here. Or well, you know, I think um, it's not explicit, but I think the fact that Israel's, uh, you know, for a moment, they're, they're paralyzed by the Philistines. Okay. You so know? we're thinking, yeah, okay, so, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, they, they just, yeah, they, ha- they can't seem to move. And so, you know, when you factor in all this stuff, I mean, you begin to see that there really is this, this imagery that's woven through all of the Bible that, mm-hmm. that says God's going to actually, you know, fulfill what he's doing. And so when we understand, too, that Goliath literally is the offspring of intelligent evil, mm-hmm. I, and David is the son of of Eve, when you follow his his bloodline all the way back, which of course we have in in Chronicles, we can trace his bloodline all the way back to Adam and Eve. Sure. So he he is fulfilling this Genesis three prophecy, not in the same way that Christ does, but he's giving us a taste. He's giving mm-hmm. us a hint that this is what's on the horizon. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be better. It's going to be way more than than we can present to you right now. Mm-hmm. But this is what's on the way, and if this much is great, can you imagine how much more wonderful it's going to be when the real Messiah comes, when right. the ultimate Messiah comes? So Isaiah 52 and, um, and 53, Israel and Judah rise up with a shout to chase the, the, the Philistines. And now this is a reversal of verse 24, because remember, whenever Goliath would come out, the Israelites would run away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And because David has stood up, he's taken a stand, and he's defeated Goliath. Now, instead of running away, now they're running to the, the battle. Mm-hmm. Now, here's where Goliath's four brothers, I think, does do... Sorry, get my um, verb and subjects in agreement. Sure. Goliath's brothers do come in because Goliath wasn't the only giant that the Philistine army had. Right. And now the, the people are saying, hey, wait a minute, we actually have a chance. And they run after him, and they chase them as far as Ekron and Gath. Mm-hmm. Now, Ekron was the final stop whenever the Ark of the Covenant was, was stolen by the Philistines. That was the final city, the final stop. Gath was the city right before that. And um, Gath is also the home of the Anakim. Mm-hmm. So we, 
also know from other Bible verses that that's that they're giants. And so the wounded fell from Sharaim to the Philistine city. So the whole area where this is happening is actually in the land of Judah. So this would have been David's hometown. This is would have been where his family is from. And this would include the Philistine cities are located in land that had been promised to Judah. Mm-hmm. Now, the the people are emboldened at this point to to chase the Philistines back this far, but they aren't willing to go past the status quo. They're like, you can live in this corner. We don't need to go any further because, you know, we kind of, we're okay with this arrangement. And we saw that with Samson. Sure. You know, just, just stay on your side and, and we're good. And, of course, this isn't going to fly when David's king. Right. And all of the Philistines are going to be wiped out at, at that point. But verse 53, uh, we're told that Israelites plunder the camp. And you know, there, there's no prohibition against them plundering the camp. There's only certain times that they're not allowed to take things. But David takes the head of Goliath, and this is really strange. He takes the head of Goliath, and he takes it to Jerusalem. And the thing is, Jerusalem doesn't belong to Israel yet. When Judah came in and conquered the the country, Jerusalem was the holdout. The Jebusites Mm. still live there. Remember back with the Levite and the concubine, whenever they they were traveling and the Levite wanted to go on and the servant Mm. said, hey, let's stop in in Jerusalem. Mm. And the Levite said, no, I don't want to stop there because I can't can't be sure the Jebusites aren't going to kill us too. And then he winds up in a horrible situation with the tribe of Benjamin. All of that's coming back into play. And so the fact that David takes it there it opens up for some really interesting speculation because the bible doesn't give us a reason we do know that jerusalem is the first city that david's going to attack what whenever he gets to um gets to be king and so it's possible that you know one theory, and there really aren't a whole lot of theories out there because it's just so baffling. Mm-hmm. But the the idea that David takes his head there, and there's one story that he even throws the head over the wall, and said, you know, it's a way to put Jerusalem on notice, the Jebusites on notice. That's the only thing I could think of is that yeah, it's like, hey guys, um, you can leave, mm-hmm. or you'll look like this. Yeah, well, and, and it's possible, and because. You know, David, you can't help but think that after David accomplishes this death and the, the execution of, of Goliath, that David was probably, oh yeah, definitely king. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. going to make it. So let's just start advancing the agenda right now. <laughs> and I, I can see that from him. I can see that in him. And, you know, so we, we've got, kind of got this weird little thing going on here that, you know, David might be starting to, to step into who, his future role. And again, that's speculation, but nobody knows. Mm. It, it really is one of those very, very baffling uh, verses. And so we do know that he puts Goliath's armor in the tent, um, which also is really weird because we know that. You know, Saul's armor wouldn't fit him. Mm-hmm. And so this isn't, you know, Goliath's armor trying to fit him would have been completely absurd. So, you know, 
Is it a trophy? Does he think he's going to sell it later? Um, I would assume it was a trophy. That that's the only thing I can think of. I mean, that would about be not it. Fit it. No, I mean, there, there's like no useful purpose. Now we know Goliath's sword. Later on, we're going to find out that it's kept at the tabernacle. Sure. But nothing is said about the rest of the armor. Hmm. And so we don't know what happens to it. I mean, he, he could have, um, you know, he could have hung it on his living room wall. I, I, we have no idea. Are they idea. still looking for stuff in Qumran? Are they still finding stuff? <laughs> Actually, we're going to get to there <laughs> at some point. <laughs> Are there answers there? <laughs> we we aren't certain, and but the th- the point is that the the armor does belong to David, and not Saul, and not anyone else, because he's the one who stepped up, and he 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 took the stand. And whenever you defeat the enemy, whatever belonged to him now rightfully belongs to you. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that David was willing to to do this is kind of huge, but the the. The, the whole situation, you're starting to see that David is not content to totally ignore the fact he's king. Mm-hmm. He, he is fine with the fact that Saul is the king, and he actually goes out of his way to make sure that everybody else knows he's fine with Saul being the king. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to buck Saul on any kind of of uh, anything. He, he's going to make sure that the position remains intact. But he's also not ignoring the fact that he knows exactly who he is and what he's been called to do. And he, he begins to take these little steps to make sure that he does. He, he keeps the armor. Mm-hmm. He goes to Jerusalem with the head of Goliath. He, he doesn't just... He doesn't just... Fade into obscurity at this point because that taking the head of Goliath to Jerusalem, that's a that's a pretty big hey look what we did. Mm-hmm. This is letting it all letting everyone know exactly yeah. what's happening. So, but you, speaking of Qumran, I, I think we're going to stop right there, and then I've got some things about a fascinating discovery from from Qumran. Uh, that actually has to do with the David and Goliath story. It's not Goliath's armor. I'm sorry, okay. but um, it, it, it's it's a pretty cool discovery. And so, in the meantime, um, to give a little bit of a hint, go read Psalm 151 in your Bible, and we'll discuss some of that next week. Okay. So cool. Yeah, seems like a good place to that, wrap. By oh, the but... way, I did not misspeak. I did say Psalm 151. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You'll see why later. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, um, everyone, thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us and being part of the conversation. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. If you want to be uh, even more part of the conversation rather than just listening, <laughs> uh, hit us up on Raven Creek SC on all the social media, ravencreeksc.com. Get in touch with us, and we will see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.